Amen. All right, so 1 Peter chapter 2. Should jump over to 1 Peter chapter 2. Figured we'd follow up last week's gangbuster of a message um, with yet another fun one. I'm thankful that God has us uh, in 1 Peter because I wouldn't have picked it. Uh, but God's taking care of us that way. So 1 Peter 2, we're going to be in verse 18 starting there. And then we're going to kind of walk through. And uh, yeah, so here we go. <laughs> 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18, he says this. Household slaves, submit to your masters with all reverence, not only to the good ones, but also to the cruel. For it brings favor if, because of a consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. What credit is there if when you do wrong and are beaten, you endure it? But when you do what is good and you suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. For you were called to this, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He didn't commit sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he didn't insult in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. But he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd, the overseer of our souls. All right, so right out of the gate. We struggle with uh, this text because as we read it, we read into it our own historical context of slavery, all right? And so what I want to do is this is really not the point of Peter's passage, but it really gives us an opportunity to talk about some things that need to be talked about and understood before we move on. So let me jump in and just kind of, you have to understand that when we read our context of slavery into this passage, it's actually not what Peter is talking about. And I want to, I want to picture that for you, okay? So, so when you think about British slavery and uh, early American slavery, there were really, and this is a super simplification, <laughs> a super simplification. There were three kind of tenets that slavery was built upon. The first one was it was based on ethnicity. Based on ethnicity. It was not a multicultural problem. It was very monocultural in the way slavery was applied when it comes to British slavery and early American slavery. Secondly, it was based on thoughts of superiority. So those whites looked at black people as lesser than people. They had no rights, and if they weren't less than people, at the very least, they were less than they were. So there was a, um, a, a thought of superiority there. And finally, it was based on permanence. There were very limited, if any, opportunities for somebody who was a slave in early America or Britain to gain their freedom. And so that, that again, that is a super simplification. I, I promise I will not go to battle on any of those other than as I look at or that slavery, that, that's really the three main points, it seems. It was based on ethnicity, it was based on the thoughts of superiority, and it was based on permanence. The Roman Empire and slavery in the Roman Empire, which is the context of Peter's work, was vastly different than that. Uh, you became a slave in the Roman Empire 
there were two main reasons. The first was you were conquered by Rome, and they made you a slave. Now, that didn't happen a whole lot. Rome was cruel. Uh, those who would have been good slaves, usually they would have just killed. The most people in the Roman Empire, by far the most, became slaves as they sold themselves into slavery to pay off a debt. And if you have student loans, that's kind of the idea. I owe this much money, there is no way I can pay it off. I sell myself into slavery, and as I work, what I end up doing is working against that debt eventually. I can get to the place where I can purchase my freedom by paying off my debt, or have somebody else purchase my freedom for me. So right there you see it is opposite of what early American slavery was in the idea of permanence. It was temporary. Um, Interestingly, it would not be unusual for slaves to have a higher education or be of a higher societal structure or rung, cultural rung, than their masters. And that's because um, the, the many slaves who were bringing themselves into slavery to pay off their debt um, were uh, professionals. They were teachers. They were physicians. They were all these different things. And so, so it was not unusual for the slave to have a higher standing culturally or a uh, have a more education than their master, which is complete opposite of the idea of thoughts of superiority. <laughs> uh, in most cities, 50% of the population had been or were currently slaves. In Corinth, at the time of the writing of 1 Corinthians, which is roughly around this time, uh, give or take 10, 15 years, but, but in Corinth, 30% of the population of Corinth were slaves at the time of the writing of 1 Corinthians. Another 30% had been slaves at some point. So 60% of the population had that intimate personal experience with slavery. Um, so, so, so I just want you to see the difference. So early American slavery and British slavery, and then you have Roman slavery. Now, let me be very clear. Do not walk out of here saying, Frank said Roman slavery wasn't that bad. That is not what I'm saying. I'm just saying it's, it's different. The slavery, even in those days, was not something to be desired. I'm not making the case for it. It was terrible. And slavery, both in early America and Britain, as well as in the Roman Empire, is, is, is against God's basic design for people. Now, when I say that, there, there is an argument out there that exists, which is why I want to talk about it again to make sure you hear this. There is an argument out there that says, well, then why doesn't the Bible speak against slavery? I mean, even in our text this morning, it's not like Peter's speaking against slavery. He's talking to slaves and telling them to be better slaves. Why doesn't the Bible speak against slavery? Well, let's, let's understand how the Bible does deal with it. The Bible's understanding of slavery was not ethnic based on superiority or permanence. It's based on economics and on circumstance. It's based on debt and on if you were taken captive by the Roman armies. In Exodus chapter 21, two things are mentioned about slavery. The first one is this. Those who kidnap people with the intent of selling them into slavery are declared guilty by the law and deserving of the death penalty. Okay, I think the Bible speaks pretty clearly about slavery just right there. Okay. Second thing Exodus 21 says is, if you're a slave, a Jewish slave, and you've been a slave for six years, the seventh year you can be released, the year of Jubilee, you can be set free. 
Okay, and then you go to the New Testament. New Testament, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, um, the Apostle Paul lumps slave traders in with murderers. Okay, so, so you're not getting a real positive spin from the Bible on, on slaves, right? Uh, you, you, the Bible doesn't explicitly speak against slavery, but first of all, it never affirms it. And secondly, the three main points of the narrative of Scripture are clearly against slavery. What are the three main points of the narrative of Scripture? First, creation. Creation, as you understand it in Genesis 1 and 2, is clearly against slavery. Every person has been created in the very image of God. And as a result, is, is, is worthy of the dignity of one who carries about in themselves the, the image of God and the breath of life that God has lent them for a period of time. What creation shows us is that the intent of God was that people across the board would be viewed as being created in the image of God and honored and respected as a result. That is clearly anti-slavery philosophy. Gospel. The gospel clearly speaks against slavery and the philosophy that's underneath it. Just one aspect of it, I could talk about this for hours, but one aspect of it is in the book of Ephesians, Paul is talking about how there were two different groups, Jew and Gentile. As you read the New Testament, if you're familiar with it at all, you know those two groups were always at odds. You get in the book of Ephesians, and, and, and Paul says, listen, there is a cultural wall that is here, and it separates Jew from Gentile. It separates ethnicities. But in Jesus Christ, what he has done is torn down that wall, and where two men were, now there's just one. And, and, and so what the gospel is doing is showing us that in Jesus, relationships are being restored back to the original intent of creation, that we see each and every person equally created in the image of God and bearing and deserving honor and respect. And then that you get to eternity and you start thinking about eternity and looking forward to eternity. You see that what God is doing is creating for himself. The book of Revelation uses this phrase. He's creating for himself a people of every tribe, tongue, kindred, and nation. It's, it's this multicultural group of people who are going to gather together for all of eternity in perfect harmony and worship God. It shows us that the ultimate fulfillment of redemption goes all the way back to the original intent of creation. And so while the Bible doesn't explicitly speak against it, it does speak about it in moments, and then the narrative of Scripture is clearly against it. It would undermine the philosophy that's there. So here's the good news. This passage isn't about slavery. So the last 10 minutes, completely free. You're welcome. That was like a class for you or something. Um, Peter mentions slaves, but it's about something far bigger. Peter's concern isn't about tearing down slavery. It's not about upholding slavery. But Peter's main um, objective is to remain consistent with the writing of the New Testament, including the Apostle Paul. That you must maintain a faithful gospel witness no matter your circumstance. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you must maintain a faithful gospel witness no matter your circumstance. Paul talks about this specifically in 1 Corinthians 7, a personal favorite chapter of mine. Why? Because I was a single adult pastor for 10 years, and 1 Corinthians 7 is talking about the the, the dignity that should be given to those who are single, who are not married and followers of Jesus Christ. 
in a culture that really did not give them dignity, which we had some relationship to uh, a little bit as well in our culture today. But, but as you viewed these singles, what, what Paul does, says, listen, I, I'm going to give you some illustrations so that it helps you understand. So, so, so you continue to look and say, well, I'm not a complete Christian. I'm not able to do that because I'm not married, so I can't do that. And all these limitations and all these frustrations, and I, I just can't accomplish all the things that everybody else can do. And, I can't. And, and, and Paul says, stop it. Stop placing upon yourself these perceived limitations because that's all they are is perception. They're not actual limitations. You can serve Christ wherever you are. Hey, let me give you, a, here's an illustration. Let me, let me give you a point. So, so are you a slave? Who cares? That's exactly what Paul says. Actually, in the King James, what he says is, are you a slave? Care not for it. Because evidently you have to say it like that in the King James. <laughs> um, so his point was, well, that's, not, that's not a deal. I mean, okay, fine. He continues, and this is going to be important because I'm going to refer to it a couple of times this morning. He, he continues and says, are you a slave? Who cares? If you have the opportunity to be free, take it. But being a slave doesn't limit you in being a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. And so that's, that's the key point Paul is trying to drive home in 1 Corinthians 7. And what Peter's trying to drive home here in 1 Peter chapter 2 is this. The situation in, you live, in which you live may be difficult. You may be experiencing mistreatment. But you are still called to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Now, there's some tension uh, in this text it's the same tension we had last week when Peter says, okay, household slaves, what, is, what I want you to do, submit to your masters right out of the gate. Submit. Great. There's our favorite word again, right? We love to submit. It's, it's wonderful. It's an American pastime. No, submission to an American is like petting a cat backwards. Okay? It's very uncomfortable. And it gives us this this feeling in our chest, like we just want to rebel. We are supposed to fall in line, submit, not just in action, but in word, thought, attitude. We're supposed to give them, um, it says, with all reverence, respect, honor. He says, do that, submit to the good bosses. So here's a word about application. I need to make sure I say this. Um, specific application of this text, um, I, I don't think there's anybody in here that's a slave. So who is Peter specifically speaking to? Uh, a specific application, like this would be like the literal um, crossing the bridge to our culture today, would be those who would go to school for free, but then have to serve in the military for five years. So, so what you're doing is you're paying off your debt. Uh, or if you work for somebody and they pay for your schooling or your training and you're required to work for them for a certain period of time. That's, that is the literal application, the literal crossing the bridge to our culture today. Um, a general one, and the one that's used most here, is talking about masters, or sorry, not masters, talking about bosses and employees. So as you go to work, well, that's your boss, your master, okay? So um, uh, the other one simply is talking to people who are experiencing difficult times, who are experiencing mistreatment, unfairness, and injustice. And so what Peter does, he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to submit to those people who are in authority over you. That includes good bosses, and here's the real tense part, and cruel bosses. The Greek word for cruel is skolios. 
where we get our word scoliosis from, the curvature of the spine. It says this, this boss is cruel, crooked, dishonest, mean, evil. And what Peter says is, for that one, I want you to submit. Fall in line. Arrange yourself like you're in the military. When the whistle blows, you line up. In word, in thought, in action, in attitude, submit with great respect to the one who is over you, even though, as the text says, they're cruel. Now, you need to employ a little bit of biblical common sense here. Obviously not if they're leading you into sin. However, if you must disagree with them, two things. One, make sure you must disagree based on morality and God's rules, not your comfort and your preference. Second, if you must disagree with them, then you must do it with integrity and with the utmost of respect. That's what Peter's calling you to. And again, before we go ahead, a reminder of Paul's words. If you have the opportunity to be free, take it. If you have the opportunity to not work for that person, if you have the opportunity to not be under that person, then take it. But if you don't, if you don't have the opportunity or you don't take advantage of that opportunity to be free, Paul says in verse 21, you have been called to this. You have been called. You are given an urgent task. You are summoned to take responsibility for. You are called to suffer unjustly. Talk about petting the cat backwards. I'm called to suffer unjustly. Yes, you are called to suffer unjustly. And even though that doesn't fit within our American evangelism mindset, evangelical mindset, we've got to understand that what you and I have been called to is not comfort, is not a land or world where we get to choose what we do and what we don't do, where we go and what we, where we don't go. We, we, we don't get to choose any of that stuff, even though that made no sense at all. The thing we've been called to by Jesus Christ coming out of the very mouth of Christ is this. Take up your cross and follow me. You do know the cross wasn't gumdrops and lollipops, right? Jesus says, no, no, I want you to take up your cross and follow me. But we don't understand that. We've got no category for it. We don't have the bandwidth for it. We can't wrap our heads around suffering because suffering is foreign to us. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You have been called to unfairness. You have been called to being treated unjustly. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a cross to bear. And we have fallen for the lie that if I just live a little bit more holy, a little bit more righteous, I go to church a few more times, I put a couple extra dollars in the, the basket, if I just sing a little louder, if I carry a bigger Bible, if I dress the right way and don't go to the wrong places and don't smoke and don't chew and don't run with girls who do, as long as I do all those things, then I won't suffer. That's the exact opposite of what Scripture teaches. 2 Timothy chapter 3. For those who live godly in Jesus Christ will suffer persecution. But, but, but we, we as American believers have believed, and man, I hope none of you have this tattoo. If you do, I'm Sorry. But we have believed that Jeremiah 29.11 is a get-out-of-jail-free card. And so we tattoo it all over ourselves. We hang posters of it. For I know the thoughts that I have for you, God says. 
Not thoughts of evil, but of welfare, for I have a hope and a future for you. And we're like, yes, put it on my back. But what you don't understand is that Jeremiah is speaking to a group of people who have been taken captive, who are being held in Babylon, and God just finished saying to them, you're staying there for a long time, and it's going to stink. It's going to be uncomfortable. You're going to be in exile for 70 years. I mean, I have a hope and I have a future for you, but the next 70 years, you're, you're, going, to be, you're going to be miserable. Now, he does have a plan. It's 70 years from now, and the next 70 years are not absent of difficulty or suffering. And Peter says, this, you have been called to this. Is it really our calling to suffer injustice? Yes! Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not to only believe in him, but also to suffer for him. We like this part. I'll believe in him. Suffering comes hand in hand with that. And that... No, it's like, oh, that should help you breathe. God, not anybody else, is in control. God, not anybody else, is calling the shots. God is the one who has called you to this, so it should comfort you to no end to know that he's in control. It should comfort you to no end to know that he's not like, oh, no, I didn't see that one coming. Now what am I going to do? No, 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 no. He's not making things up as he goes along. He has plans, and he has called you to this. Stuff doesn't just happen. Sovereignty happens. So where you find yourself right now is where God wants you, even if that means that you, like Paul, have to brag about how weak you are. But that's okay, because in God's perfect plan, in your weakness, you're made strong. This is your calling. If you can be free, run! But if not, you're called to follow the example of Jesus. It says in verse 21, this you are called because Christ Jesus also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. That word example is a cool word. Uh, In the original Greek, it is literally something written underneath Something written underneath. Now, if you're a first grade school teacher, you understand that immediately. You take the piece of paper that's got the little dotted lines on it that shape, form the shape of letters, and you put it down, and you get little Johnny to take his big, huge pencil out. Like, okay, this is how you make an A, Johnny. You follow the example. Something written underneath would be to take that full piece of paper, put it down, put another piece of paper on top of it, and trace the letters on top of it. Jesus has left for you that example for you to follow. Not just that you would take the same road as him. He says you would follow in his footsteps. Not just the same road, his actual steps. And I think, I think to help us understand that a little picture may help, you, you get one of those big, of course it's really hard to imagine this right now, but you get one of those big, nasty 30-inch snowstorms. And it's, 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 it's beautiful, but it's deep. 
And daddy goes out with his big old boots and he's stomping through the yard. You know, and he's leaving these big footprints in the yard. And behind him is the little dude who's like, he's like, yay high. His feet are like this big. And the only way he's going to make it through the snow is if he steps where daddy steps. So he's like, and he doesn't quite make it every time, does he? No, 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 no. He lands in the snow. He gets covered with it. It's up his nose, his, his eyebrows, his eyes. And he's like, <laughs> and dad's cracking up because mom's inside. <laughs> so he can laugh. Man, that's, that's kind of what it's like when we try to follow the footsteps of Jesus. He's got some big footprints. We got these little itty bitty ones. That's what we're called to. Follow the example of Jesus. So what was the example of Jesus? Follow along with me, verse 22. He did not commit sin. While Jesus was facing the greatest of injustices, while Jesus was being treated unfairly and poorly, while Jesus was being mocked and spit upon and cursed and beaten, he did not commit sin. Are you being treated unfairly at work, at home, in your neighborhood, Be careful. Follow the example of Christ. Don't sin. And no deceit was found in his mouth. Don't try to lie your way out of it. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. You want to talk about the language of today? If I am insulted, my immediate response is to fire back. But not Jesus. He didn't answer them while he was being treated unfairly. He did not, oh, I'm sorry, let me go down. When he suffered, he did not threaten. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, have you met people who threaten things? You're like, oh, so it's, it's a typical parent thing. Oh, yeah, well, you, you, you're not going to leave the house for two years. What a dumb threat. You can't, you, you can't enforce that. Jesus could have. Anything Jesus threatened, he could have enforced. And yet in the middle of that, he kept his mouth quiet. It says, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He entrusted himself. The idea of entrusting is to give into the hands of another for safekeeping, to care for. My, my wife and I go out. I hate, and I don't know why, it's, it's dumb. I hate carrying keys. So if I go out with my wife, it's always like, hey, could you hold these? Hey, would you hold these? Hey, you got that big old bag with you. Could you throw those in there? Isn't that what it's for? Can you hold my keys, please? Can you hold these? And, and I'm counting on the fact that she's going to care for them so at the end of the night she's able to give them back to me so we can go home. I'm entrusting her with my keys. Hey, would you, could you watch my kids for me? I'm entrusting you for the care and safekeeping of something I hold dear. Here it says Jesus continued entrusting, a continuous action, a choice that is made over and over again. And think about that as Jesus is going through his trial, as he is being beaten, as he's heading down the road, as he's being laid out on the cross, as he's being nailed to the cross, as he's elevated in front of the people, as the mocking and cursing and spitting continues. He continued entrusting the one who judges justly. He continued handing himself over, handing his reputation over, handing his well-being over, handing the situation over to the only one who could be trusted. And that's the example we're supposed to follow when we go through injustice. 
we're also, back to verse 19, we're also supposed to walk through injustice and difficult relationships with a consciousness of God. That's what the Christian Standard Bible says. Because of a consciousness of God. The English Standard Version says, being mindful of God as you are walking that walk. The idea is this, in the middle of that great difficulty, remember God. What does that mean? It means as you view the one who is bringing the discomfort, as you view the one who is being cruel and crooked and oppressive, as you view the one who is turning the screws in your life, you ask yourself the question, what, how would God deal with crooked, evil, cruel, deceitful people like that? You already know the answer. Because it's how he dealt with you. Because that is you. While we were still in the throes of our rebellion against God, while we were still actively sinning against God, you want to talk about injustice and unfair? Let's try to make the God who created everything and who is sustaining the entire universe, let's make him answer to Frank. God showed up. Stepping down from the judgment seat in heaven, Jesus Christ showed up in infinite love, receiving in himself the penalty and the guilt of my sin. And he did it to satisfy the justice of the law that we broke. Not that he broke, that we broke. Because he did that, he made it possible that we, me, somebody who's deserving of wrath because of my rebellion and sin against the God of the universe, He did that so that I could taste mercy and receive salvation. So as you are being oppressed and pressed down and treated unfairly and enduring injustice, what you must remember is how God treated you because the one who has tasted of grace for real will be the one who shares it the fastest. Again, nobody is saying if you have the opportunity to be free, you don't take advantage of it. Man, if you have the opportunity to be free from the unfairness and injustice, I would tell you to run. Every day of the year, I will tell you to run. But if you can't, while you are there, you have the opportunity to live in such a different way that the world takes note, that they look at you and what they see is this light that is coming from you. And as a result of following the example of Jesus Christ and being mindful of the grace that God poured out on you, that is a picture of Matthew 5, that as we do our good works, our light will shine and they will glorify our Father which is in heaven because they know that light ain't coming from you. I know some of you are rule keepers. And so you're thinking, but what about the injustice? I know you. 
Continue to entrust that to the hands of God. Continue to hand that over to the one just judge who will accomplish his purposes. You, you just make the most of the opportunity that you've been given to follow the example of Christ and demonstrate the grace that you've experienced to someone else. Another very popular message. You're welcome. Please remember, I just deliver the mail. Let's pray. Father, thanks. Uh, You're very good to us. You have graced us beyond comprehension. What you did for us in Jesus Christ is unthinkable. And so thank you. Lord, I know that there are people here who are struggling with unfairness in their own life, how they've been treated. Lord, I pray that you would give them the strength, grace, and mercy they need to follow Christ's example in those situations and to consider the grace that they've experienced. We trust you, Father, to bring the truth and the power of the gospel into our incredibly big mess. We ask in our difficulty and in our hurt that you would take that hurt, you would take those cries, you would take the sigh that that comes from us, take the anger and the frustration, and Father, in your wonderful way, turn it into worship. Lord, your good plans for us has always had Jesus in view. He is the yes and the amen to every single one of your promises. In Jesus, the life, death, and resurrection are a guarantee of our living hope. So Lord, I pray as we face difficulty that we would live like we have a living Savior. Give us the strength to turn this over to you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for Jesus. Amen.